Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, good to see everyone here this morning. And we have, I want to welcome back a few, a few faces that we haven't seen for a while. And I uh, just want to welcome everyone here. And uh, it's good to see uh, Fred uh, back this morning with us. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and Steve and, uh, and, and, and many, many others. And uh, I always hate to, to recognize anybody because that means I'll forget somebody. So that's, what's that? And Ruth, that's right. And on and on and on, right? Anyways, we just want to welcome everyone this morning to our, our morning worship service, and uh, we can be here, and we can, uh, we can praise the Lord and come before him in worship. Uh, we have a few announcements here this morning in the bulletin, and uh, Sunday school at 9 o'clock, and I know that, uh, that, the, uh, um, that they've got a couple of good classes going, so if you've... Uh, if you've not been able to make it to the uh, Sunday school classroom, uh, Sunday school, uh, just encourage you to consider that, and it's a time to uh, share and interact, uh, as opposed to uh, in uh, our morning worship service, as well as a prayer meeting at six o'clock on Thursday uh, at the parsonage. Everybody is welcome. So if we all came, we'd have to meet at the church. So that would be good. And uh, Ian, I think, had one announcement. Yeah. Brent and I are, are looking at the potential of, of hosting a Gospel 101 study this spring. It's an eight-week study going through the basics of the Gospel. It's really, really helpful if you're a new believer and you're looking to understand your faith. Um, and it's also really helpful if you're a teaching saint and you've been going to church for 40 years and you want to sort of refresh in, in your understanding of the Gospel. And so... Excellent. It's always great to be able to uh, be in the Word and to be learning. And uh, so, be in prayer for that. Any other announcements this morning? Yes, Donna. Jane, yes.
Amen. Any other announcements this morning? Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house today and that we can worship you and come before you with our, our as we go through difficulties and we can come to you in those good times as well. And we can be assured and we can trust that you are always there and that you always hear us no matter what, no matter if we've strayed or, or no matter what our situation is, you're there for us. We pray that you would help us to trust in you with all of our hearts and to not lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you and that you will direct our paths. And we pray that that would be the case in our lives and that we would surrender our lives to you and that you would direct us and that we would live in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray that you would uh, bless this service this morning, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning as he brings the message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And if you'd uh, like to turn with me now to Psalm 99, our, uh, I'll be reading Psalm 99 for our scripture reading. The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. If you would turn with me now to number 11 in, the, uh, in your blue book, and you can see we have uh, color-coordinated our, uh, our songs. And uh, so some of our, for those of you that are new or newer, uh, we sing some of our songs from this blue book and then some from the green one that is in front of you as well. So if you would turn with me to number 11 in the blue book, and we will stand and sing all three verses of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon him. Hitherto thy love has blessed me, thou hast brought me to this place, and I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Good singing. And uh, now would the uh, men come forward for the morning offering, please? And uh, after we uh, take the morning offering, we'll be singing the uh, doxology out of uh, this, the hymn book here, number 815. And if you have any uh, prayer requests uh, or anything like that, uh, you can also put those into the offering plate uh, when the plate goes by as well.
Amen. And if you would remain standing, please, we will sing uh, Psalm 8 in your green book. That will be in the back, uh, towards the uh, back of the book, or in the last half. Psalm 8.
morning, church. Good singing. It's the first time we've sung that song, but you guys sang it out well. It's wonderful. I'm going to take some time now to, to go together to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning and we do address you as Jesus taught us to, our Father who art in heaven. We address you as our Father, not as a distant, unfeeling God, but as a God who is our Heavenly Father. We know, Lord, that for all of us who have trusted in Christ, you've brought us into the family of God as sons and daughters. And so we approach the throne boldly. And yet we address you as our Father who art in heaven. We understand, God, that you are a holy God, that you dwell in unapproachable light, that you dwell in glory. And we read the various passages of Scripture, Lord, where, where mortal men and women come in contact and ca catch even just a glimpse of your glory, and they're undone. So we come to you, Lord, as, as our Father which art in heaven. You are the glorious God of all creation, of unsearchable power and might and glory, and yet you are also the Father of love. You invite us close to you in Jesus. And this is good for us to know, Lord, because we in the light of your glory, we're made aware, well aware of our sinfulness, how far we wander from your commands, how far we wander from your, from your ways, that we do what's right in our own eyes. We pay no regard to your word or to your law, that either intentionally or unintentionally, Lord, we wander from your good design, and we make ourselves God by following our ways instead of yours. We confess, Lord, even this week we failed to love you with our whole hearts. We failed to obey you in all of our deeds. We failed, Lord, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we take a moment now to confess our sins unto you, Lord, silently. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and you are kind to forgive us, that in fact, in the Lord's Prayer, Lord Jesus, you teach us to confess our sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we confess our sins, Lord, not hesitantly, not, not wondering whether you will forgive us or not, but confidently in the name of Jesus knowing that his blood, his body broken, spilled on the cross for us, for the forgiveness of sins, is more than sufficient to remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, to cleanse us entirely from the guilt and the shame and the power of sin, and to make us free in Christ. I pray, Lord, that for those of us who have been set free, that we would be free indeed, that we who've been freed from the condemnation of sin would also be freed from the power of sin in our lives, 
that we would make no provision for sin to continue to remain in our hearts which have been purchased by the blood of Christ. But that day by day, you would equip us for the work of doing battle with, with the sins which weigh us down. That we would learn day by day to walk more and more in holiness. We know we'll never be perfect in this life. We know we will never have it all together. But we pray, Lord, for the next steps of obedience in our lives to be made clear to us. You convict us of our sin where we need to repent of it and that you'd help us to release it in Jesus and to learn to follow you in all of our ways, to lean not on our own understanding, as Kevin prayed earlier, but to acknowledge you in all of our ways, to trust you and to trust that you will make straight our paths. Finally, Lord, we lift up the people in Ukraine as they undergo um, an invasion and all that entails. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect them. We think especially of our brothers and sisters in Christ there, Christians who are hiding in bomb shelters as they hear explosions overhead. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect them, that you'd keep them, you'd keep them strong, that even in these difficult times, you'd give them opportunities to share the hope that they have in Jesus with the people around them. That even, Lord, in this storm they're undergoing, that your kingdom would advance. That even as, um, even as there's wars and rumors of wars, Jesus, as you promised there would be until your return, that, um, that the, the kingdom war would advance that you would bring down strongholds of darkness and bring many to Jesus. We know, Lord, nothing is certain in this life. We can be so um, put to sleep by the comforts of modern Western society and of the wealth we have in America. We can be, begin to be convinced that this is stable, but we know, Lord, that all flesh is like grass that we will all die, that kings and kingdoms rise and fall. And there is only one thing solid in this life, and that is Jesus Christ, our rock. And so we trust in you, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would be our rock through the storm, that as the waves of grief, the waves of difficulty pass over us, that we would be, that we'd be pressed against the rock of Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us. We thank you for your love. What would we do without your love? Where would we be? We thank you for the forgiveness we have in your name and the hope we have of eternal life. We pray that you'd watch over this service, Father, that you, by your spirit, would inhabit the praises of your people, that you'd be among us, that you'd be at work. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. It should be on the, the back of your bulletin. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
you'd stand and we will sing in our green book. We will sing number four. All glory be to Christ. Good song, number four. Let's stand and sing. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. kingdom come on earth as is above who is himself our daily bread praise him the lord of love let living water satisfy the thirsty without price we'll take a cup of all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. When on that day Thank you. 
This week is going to be our final sermon in our series on the church. We've asked a number of different questions about what scripture teaches about the church. What is the church? Why does it exist? What's our mission? What's our purpose? And how has God seen fit to order the church in terms of how we should operate as a local congregation? I want to begin this morning by posing to you an odd situation. Imagine with me, if you will, that you have lost your ear. Some kind of freak accident, you've been dismembered. You no longer have your right ear. Okay, go with me here. And there's no chance of recovering your ear. But then one day, when you're going about your day, an ear approaches you, okay? A, a wandering ear without a body, okay? And it begins to speak to you. This is not a dream, okay? Um, and after you get over the, uh, the shock of a walking, talking ear, right? You begin to hear the ear out, and the ear says, hello there, I see you're in need of an ear. You're, you happen to be missing a right ear. I happen to be a right ear. It only makes sense. Why don't I join your body and I'll be your ear? Again, you're processing the shock of this situation. But after a while, you come to realize, well, the ear looks like about the right shape and size. And it would be nice to hear on my right side again. So sure. I'll find a doctor and we can stitch you on. And for the rest of the days of my life, I'll finally be able to hear out the right side of my head again and you can function as an ear is meant to function and I'll be able to hear and it'll be wonderful. You'll be part, you'll be part of my body and you'll be my ear. Now imagine the situation gets even stranger. The ear says back to you, Whoa, 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 slow down. I'm not sure about all that. Being attached to your body sounds like an awful lot of commitment. I'll have to actually hear for you the rest of the days of your life? I'll actually have to... Here's what I'll propose, a counterproposal. I'll be your ear, and you can carry me around in your pocket. <laughs> and everyone you meet, and they'll ask, where's your right ear? Say, it was right here, it's in my pocket. This is my ear. And that way, I can sort of wander around and do whatever I'd like, but I'll have a body and you'll have an ear. And what would be your response to this ear? Among other things, perhaps you'd say something like, no deal. No deal. <laughs> but you might say something like, I'm not sure that you understand what it means to be a part of a body. I'm not sure you understand what it means to be a part of a body. Now consider a different situation. And maybe you see where this is going. A friend or family member of yours approaches you and says, Hey, I'm a Christian and you're a Christian and, and I know you're a part of a local church and, and I'd like to become a member of your local church. You say, Great, that's wonderful. It's great to be a part of a church. 
and we serve one another and we love one another and there's I mean, we, go, we go to worship services and we, we worship the Lord together and we pray together at prayer meetings and, and, and older saints mentor and disciple the younger saints. And, and, um, and when people are going through difficulties, we like provide them meals and it's like we're in it together. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of a church. And imagine this person says to you, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not, that sounds like an awful lot of responsibility. That sounds like an awful lot of commitment. You mean I actually have to do something? How about I say that I go to your church? I'll consider you my church, and I'll come on Christmas and on Easter. To which you say, I'm not sure that you understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. The biblical picture of belonging to a church, the biblical picture of Christianity, is not that we're out on our own doing Jesus stuff by ourselves. The New Testament picture of Christianity and of the church is that we actually belong to one another. And we're going to look this morning at the various responsibilities that we as Christians have for one another in a local church. Here's our big idea this morning. Membership in the body of Christ, belonging to the church, involves responsibilities. Membership in the body of Christ involves responsibilities. And our focus in question this morning is going to be this. What are our responsibilities towards one another in a local church? And my aim, my goal, is to try to summarize the New Testament teaching on what our responsibilities are towards one another in a local church. It's going to be a whirlwind. We're going to be all over the New Testament. We're going to try and fit as much as we possibly can into the sermon this morning. We're going to use as our guide a document that I printed out for you and that should be in your bulletin. Um, It says Membership Covenant at the top of the page. And this is a document that's that's a part of the Constitution of, of our church, And it's a basic summary of the responsibilities that we as Christians have for one another in the context of a local church. Now, as soon as we pull this out and you see the word membership on top, maybe this raises some red flags for you, right? Maybe maybe one thing you say is, well, I'm not a member of the church, so this isn't for me and I can kind of tune out. Or maybe another thing you might think is, well, membership in the church actually like having your name on a list that you're a member of the church, that's kind of like, maybe that's a, kind of a, a thing for super Christians if you're really committed to the church. That's kind of like a, that's a next level sort of thing. Um, but I, wanna, I want us to understand this morning, whether or not you're a member of, of Liberty Baptist Church, that the responsibilities laid out here are just the scriptural responsibilities that all Christians have to one another in a local church. And that actually church membership, as a church we have a a list of people who are church members. All church membership is, is Christians saying, I'm actually going to do what the Bible commands me to do in the context of a local church here at Liberty. In other words, these are the responsibilities of Christians in a local church, I've decided to do them here, okay? 
So membership isn't for super Christians. Membership is for Christians. Okay? Um, and and uh, becoming a member of the local church is merely saying, I'm just going to do what Christians do here. I've committed to this church. Okay, so what are our responsibilities to each other in a local church? That's what we're going to ask. Before we look at the answers, we should begin in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of a local church. And, um, and I thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being a part of this church and for the blessing these brothers and sisters are to me week after week. And what a joy it is to be able to, um, to do the Christian life together and to be able to encourage one another and help one another and serve one another. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that this morning as we look to your word, that we would catch the vision that, you're, that you've laid out in the New Testament of, of a church that actually cares for one another and takes responsibility for one another and that we'd see this responsibility not as a burden but as a gift and that we'd see your church as something wonderful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So let's look at the church covenant together. And I want you to understand, this is not scripture, okay? Um, what we're gonna do is go through the church covenant and aim to go through all of it. We'll have to skim some parts and look point by point and ask, is this scriptural? Where in scripture do we see these responsibilities? And at every point, I think we're gonna see, this is a helpful summary of what scripture teaches about our responsibilities towards one another. The first and the last paragraphs are an introduction and a conclusion. Okay, an introduction and a conclusion. Let's read the introduction together. Uh, not read it together, I'll read it. Um, Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into the covenant with one another as one body in Christ. This is an interesting sentence. It's an interesting paragraph. Notice the connection that's being made here. It starts with salvation. It starts with becoming a Christian, right? Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith having been baptized. Right? That's, that's becoming a Christian, right? being filled with the Spirit of God, being caused to be born again, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and being baptized in obedience to Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's how we become a Christian. And then it makes this connection. Having become a Christian, basically, we're now solemnly and joyfully entering into a covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Why? What's, what's the connection there? Why? Why is it that we who've been saved through Jesus would then form this community together and, and commit to certain responsibilities together? What's, what's the deal? What's this connection? I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 12. I think Paul's going to show us the connection here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And starting in verse 12, 
And the Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthian church. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul here is talking about the spiritual reality that when we become Christians, right, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized into the church on the profession of our faith, we actually become a part of Christ's body spiritually. And this is a reality for every single Christian. If you are a Christian, you have been made a part of the body of Christ. Okay? And becoming a Christian is an individual thing, right? You make an individual decision and you put your faith individually in Christ, but it's not just an individual thing, right? Actually, in trusting Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ. And whether, like it or, whether you like it or not, you become a part of the family of God. Right? It's like when you're born into a family, you don't get a choice as to who your brothers and sisters are and to who your mother and father are. Right? You're just part of it. So when you're Christian, you actually enter into this body of Christ. And you actually have certain responsibilities towards one another. So what, what's going on in the church covenant here is that we're saying we've been saved, we've been brought into the body of Christ by the Spirit and by baptism. And so now we're going to covenant together to actually do what Jesus has told us to do, right? To actually live out life as the body instead of being a disembodied ear wandering around the streets of liberty, right? That we're actually going to be a part of the body and do our Christian life together. Okay, that's the introduction. And that's what sets the stage. There's three paragraphs that make up the main body of the church covenant. And these three paragraphs can be summarized in three core responsibilities that we as Christians have to one another in the life of the church. The first paragraph we could sum up by saying that, that we have a responsibility to faithfully support the church. And by the church we mean as an institution. Like we have a responsibility to 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 support the church in its physical and spiritual health. The second paragraph we could sum up by saying, as Christians in the church, we have a responsibility to faithfully live our lives in the world, in the community. And the third paragraph can be summed up by saying that as Christians, we have a responsibility to faithfully care for one another as individuals in the body of Christ. Okay. The first paragraph has to do with um, supporting the church institutionally, the second paragraph has to do with um, how we live in the community. The third paragraph has to do with caring for one another individually. So we'll look at each of these. Um, the first paragraph, again, we can summarize by saying, we have a responsibility to faithfully support the church as an institution. I'll just read it. We engage, therefore, in light of all this, because we've been brought into the body, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and its spirituality, to sustain its worship ordinances and discipline and doctrines, 
to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Okay, that's quite a list there. Those are our responsibilities to the church as an institution. So, let's ask, is this biblical? Is this scriptural? Do we actually have a responsibility to support the church both in its prosperity and in its spirituality? Do we have a responsibility to actually try and meet the needs of the church as an institution physically? And do we have a responsibility to care for each other in in our walk with Christ? I want to look at a couple of verses. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, a few pages to your right in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. And he says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. As in, we actually have a responsibility to one another as Christians. There's a way in which you could be faithful as a Christian out on your own, um, following Jesus by yourself. But there'd be no way for you to fulfill this command to build one another up, to encourage one another. We have a responsibility to spiritually build one another up and to encourage one another. Flip a few more pages to your right. In Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. As in, we actually have a responsibility to encourage one another in our Christian walk. We have a responsibility to encourage one another to grow in love, to grow in good works. The covenant explains this responsibility using three words. To strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort. As in, we're actually helping each other know Jesus better, knowledge. We're actually helping each other to be more like Jesus, holiness. And we're actually helping each other to trust Jesus more. Trust Jesus more fully, as in finding spiritual comfort in Jesus. Knowledge, holiness, and comfort. It goes on to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. So by worship, we mean we're talking about the worship of the church, like this, what we're doing right now. We've gathered together to worship God in song and in prayer and around the word. Most foundational responsibility we have to sustain the worship of the church is to come to church, right? (laughs) To go to a church. Uh, Hebrews 10, again, beginning in verse 24, but this time we'll read through 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How do we do that? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How are we supposed to encourage each other in knowledge and love and holiness and comfort if we're not together? And how can, we, how can we worship God if we're not, how can we worship God together if we're not together in the first place? It's been the consistent pattern of the Christian church all the way since Acts. If you look all the way back in Acts 2, 
right after this, this Peter's sermon at Pentecost, what do they start doing immediately? They start gathering together to listen to the apostles' teaching, to break the bread together, right, to take the Lord's Supper together, and to pray together. It's been the consistent pattern of the church throughout all of history to gather together consistently to worship the Lord. That's one of our responsibilities to the local church, actually to show up, to sustain the church's worship, also to sustain the church's ordinances. Ordinances that we're, we're talking about the Lord's Supper and baptism. So the two ordinances that we understand um, Scripture teaches that Jesus has commanded us to take the Lord's Supper together, to gather together over the table as Christians, and also to baptize. That's Matthew 28, um, that Jesus has commanded us to, to baptize new believers into the body of Christ. So how, do, how are we involved in those things as, as members of the church, as committed part of this body? Well, Lord's Supper, we just show up, right? We come to church and we take the Lord's Supper together. And in baptism, in the same way, that we, we show up and together um, we welcome people into the body of Christ by baptism. Okay, worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. Okay. Discipline we talked a bit about a few weeks ago when we talked about the, uh, the importance of the congregation and the congregation's role um, in, uh, in discipline in the church, that when someone's wandering, um, that ultimately it's up to the congregation to call those people back, to call them to repentance. Um, and that's not a responsibility just of some people or just of the church leaders. As Jesus lays it out in Matthew 18, like we saw a few weeks ago, um, it's actually the church's responsibility, uh, ultimately, to call people to repentance. Um, so worship, ordinances, discipline, and also doctrines. We talked about this, too, when we talked about the congregation, Galatians 1, where Paul exhorts the Galatian church. If they've got false teachers, if they've got people abandoning the gospel, it's actually the congregation's responsibility to, to safeguard the gospel, to safeguard the teaching of the church, and to say, we can't listen to you anymore, right? Um, because we're, we're standing on the word of God. And so as individual Christians committed to the local church, we, we commit to to safeguarding all of these things. And ideally, in a, in a well-functioning church, church leaders, elders, pastors are going to be safeguarding these things. Um, but, but ultimately, the congregation does have a responsibility um, with these things as well. So we have a responsibility to faithfully support the church in its spirituality and also in its prosperity. prosperity. Now, we're ta not talking about prosperity gospel here. Um, uh, this is, there's some old-fashioned language in this document. It's from the 1800s. Um, and so some of the words aren't, aren't ones we use very much anymore. But it's just talking about the, the physical needs of the church. Um, that as, as members of the church, we, we commit to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. So there's four responsibilities there listed. Why do we put money in the offering plate? Well, for a few reasons. For the, the support of the ministry. I think here the covenant is indicating um, paying ministers. Um, and we looked a few weeks ago, 1 Timothy 5, where, Timothy, where Paul says, um, quoting Jesus, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves its wages. Um, in other words, if the church calls a man to serve in a full-time ministry capacity, they need to provide him the means to take care of his family. 
Um, so regularly support the ministry, the expenses of the church, and this just sort of makes sense, right? We have oil bills. Um, we, what's that? Light the light bills, right? Uh, we buy paper for bulletins and repair the printer when it breaks down, and, and we pay for plowing and for sanding when there's ice on the driveway and these sorts of things. And so the, the church has expenses, and we, we commit to contribute um, to those expenses. To the relief of the poor, relief of the poor, Turn with me to Galatians 2. Galatians 2 and verse 10. This is, a, this is an interesting one. Since the very beginning of the church, the church of Jesus Christ has been committed to helping those in need. To the point where when Paul, the Apostle Paul, went to the apostles in Jerusalem and sort of met them for the first time and they vetted him a little bit, um, everything they were doing, they said, good job. You're preaching the same gospel we are. You're going to the Gentiles. Amen. Wonderful. And Galatians 2 verse 10, Paul recounts what the apostles told him. He says, only they asked us to remember the poor, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That the apostles in Jerusalem were encouraging Paul, Paul, no matter what you do, don't forget to take care of needy people. James 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's a priority in the New Testament church to care for those in need. And that should, we should reflect that, those priorities in our own church. And I, I praise God that, that we do and we, we want to do better. We have a deacon's fund that we support folks who are in need in our church and in the community, folks who, who need oil, folks who need a load of firewood, these sorts of things. Um, we have a food pantry underneath the sanctuary that a number of folks in the community are able to take advantage of. Um, and part of what we're contributing to when we contribute to the offering or we contribute to the deacon's fund or to the, the food pantry is to the, the care of the poor on behalf of the church. What did Jesus say? Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Right? A cup of cold water in my name. Okay. Regular support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all the nations. And this is something we see going on um, in the early church um, with Paul being supported by the churches that, that they're sending him with the finances that he needs to be able to, to minister. Um, we see already in the first century, if you turn to 2 Corinthians, we referenced this, this passage last week, uh, 1 Corinthians rather, 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So already here in the first century, this churches sending funds to Christians halfway across the world to support them, to support them in their need, and to support the ministry that's going on there. And so that's something that we do as a church. Um, our, our rough goal in terms of our budget 
is to set aside 10% of, of what comes into the church to send back out again um, to missions and missionaries, either locally or, um, or, or foreign missions. Um, and so that's something that's a priority in our church, um, is as the covenant states, to contribute to the spread of the gospel through all nations. That's what Jesus commanded us to do, right? Go out into all the nations, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And so we do that here in Liberty, Maine, at the ends of the earth, and we also want to support those who are, who are bringing the gospel to those who have not heard. Okay, that's our first paragraph. We commit to faithfully support the church in its spirituality and our prosperity. This will be the longest one. The other two will be a bit shorter. Okay. Faithfully support the church. Second, as Christians, Scripture calls us to faithfully live in the community. To faithfully live in the community. Now, this might be a bit countercultural. Um, this cuts, cuts against the grain a bit of our American individualism where the middle paragraph of the church covenant has to do with how you live your life, with what we do with our bodies, with what we do in our homes, with how we treat our neighbors. Right? And the American individualist in us, or maybe the prideful sinner in us, would say, what business have you, church covenant, to do telling me what to do with my body? I want you to turn with me. Uh, we're still going to be in 1 Corinthians, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. The thing is, if you're a Christian, it's not your body, and it's not your family. First Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If you are a Christian, you do not belong to yourself. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. Right? He, he is our Lord. And we belong to his body together. And so as members of this body of Christ, this local instantiation of Jesus' body, part of what we commit to do together is to live like Jesus is the Lord of our bodies and our families and our homes. So that's why in the church covenant, we engage, this is halfway through the paragraph here, we engage to consider our bodies the temples of the Holy Spirit and to seek to avoid any physical, mental, or social abuse which would destroy or hinder its effective service for Christ and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Part of what we commit to as part of the body of Christ, because we belong to Christ, is to live as if Christ is Lord over the whole of our lives, not just of our bodies, but also of our families. We also engage to maintain family and private devotions. 
In other words, to pray and be in the word as individuals and as families. To religiously educate our children. In other words, to bring our children up in the worship and the admonition of the Lord. This is Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Part of what we do as a body of Christ is to commit together to raise our children as much as possible in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, to teach them who Jesus is and how to follow him, how to love him, and how to obey him. And I like to think about this paragraph as sort of starting with individuals and then working its way outward through all of our lives, right? Because Christ is the Lord of all things, right? He's the Lord of our bodies, so we're going to live like that. He's the Lord of our homes and our families, so we're going to live like that. We're going to have homes that reflect the love and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then moving out from there to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to seek to advance the kingdom of God beyond just our bodies and beyond just our, our homes, but to seek to bring other people to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that they might be saved, that they might follow him. And then even working out further from there, body, family, and then into the community, to walk circumspectly in the world. In other words, to walk reflectively, actually thinking about what you're doing, not carelessly. To be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our deportment. Deportment's just another word for behavior, right? Just behaving ourselves in the world. To avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger. Why does this matter? Why would it matter that a member of a local church is yelling at the cashier at Hannaford? Turn with me, turn with me to, to uh, Peter, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What we do as Christians reflects on the body. What we do as Christians actually reflects on Jesus. And the way we live in the community and the way we behave as a church tells the people around us something about the God we worship. Which is why when churches are filled with gossip and backbiting and anger and dissension, the community knows it. And they say, I don't want anything to do with that God. And which is why, and I'm sure you've had this sort of experience in your own life, when you know Christians who are so filled with joy, so filled with hope and with peace, it makes you want to be like them, right? Say, I want to know that God. So it matters how we live in the community as a church. We gotta we got be careful here. Not as in we put on pharisaical masks to look holy before the world. That's not what we do. We ought not to try and make ourselves look holier than thou right, before the world. 
We ought to actually just shoot for genuine Christ-likeness and honesty before the world, as in, I don't have it all together, but Jesus is a wonderful Savior. Right? And it's going to naturally work its way out. If you try to make yourself look better than you are, people will see right through it. People can spot a Pharisee a mile away, and that's actually, they'll actually want even less to do with the church than if you were just honest. Okay. Be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our, in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to consider our bodies the temples of the Holy Spirit, to seek to avoid any physical, mental, or social abuse which would destroy or hinder its effective service for Christ. Again, Christ is who's in view here. To be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Basically, we're saying, committing to, as a body, we're going to let Jesus be the Lord over every area of our lives. Final main body paragraph here that starts with, we further engage. This, is, this paragraph is about our care for one another as a body of Christ. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to, to secure it without delay. So this is how we should actually treat one another as individuals in the body of Christ. The first commitment here is to watch over one another, to watch over one another, which is an interesting word, to oversee, to watch over. And we spoke just a couple of weeks ago about how um, elders, pastors in the life of the church are given a, a primary sort of responsibility for overseeing. We saw this in Hebrews uh, chapter 13, that uh, in verse 17, that the leaders of the church keep watch over, they watch over the souls of the congregation, that actually elders and pastors are, held, are going to be held to account before Jesus for how they've led and, and guided um, the, the flock of Christ. But notice the same language is used here in the covenant, that actually all of us as Christians, to some degree, are called to watch over one another in brotherly love. I think we see this in Scripture in, in, uh, in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. As in, if we're a part of the body of Christ, we actually have to care about one another. That includes our spiritual state. We actually should watch over one another. This is just the way it works in a body, right? It's like when your eye sees a cinder block, it says, toe, don't hit that. That's going to hurt you, right? And then when you do stub it, right, then the whole of your body says, okay, we're going to go to the fridge now to get some ice to put on the toe to care for the toe and like the eyes and the brain, the whole body is involved in actually watching over and caring for each individual part of the body. It's the same way in the body of Christ. 
We were actually called to, to watch over one another, to care for one another. And again, this cuts against our individualistic tendencies as sinners and as Americans, right? We don't want anyone in our business, and we want to mind our own business, right? And, and there's a way in which that's right. We shouldn't be nosy or gossips, right? But if we see someone stumbling, if we see someone wandering off the path towards the valley of death, right? Come back, come back. You're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna stub your toe. Watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer. Again, this is the command of scripture, James 5, verse 16. James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's something I love about this body is we're a people of prayer. We pray together on Sunday mornings. We pray together on prayer meeting nights, on Thursday nights. I'd encourage any of you who hasn't been to come on occasion. It's a real encouragement. Uh, it's Thursday nights. It's our prayer meeting. Watch over one another, remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress. Uh, Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is one of our responsibilities as Christians. Again, we're not islands. When someone's in need, when someone needs help with physical needs, they need firewood, they need a meal, whatever, that we pitch in, that we help. They were actually in disobedience to scripture if we say, you know what, I'm gonna do Christian life on my own. Right? We actually have a responsibility to the other members of the body of Christ. Speak and act with, okay, so the next one is to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling in courtesy and speech, which is quite a, quite a phrase. To cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling in courtesy and speech. What's sympathy? Let's turn one chapter back, Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's Christian sympathy. It's bearing one another's burdens, right? And that's, that's what I, part of what I love about this, this church body is that we really do rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We bear one another's burdens. But that we should cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling both in courtesy and in speech. In other words, both in how we act and in how we speak. So we should act in ways that we're supporting each other as we're rejoicing or as we're mourning but also in how we speak to one another. Speech is a powerful thing. James, in his letter, speaks about the power of speech, the power of the tongue. James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James isn't mincing his words here. 
The tongue can be a powerful instrument either for building up or for tearing down. And the fire analogy is that it's really easy to start a fire and it's really easy for it to go out of control. A few words placed in just the wrong place at just the wrong time can set a church on fire. We ought to be very careful the way we use our words as Christians. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 29. This is the filter we should have, both as we speak within the context of church and as we're speaking in every context. This is the filter we have on our mouths that we should. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. A great exercise with this is to go throughout the day imagining that you have a tape recorder recording your every word. And imagining if you were to listen back to every sentence and ask the question, is this building up or is it tearing down? Is this encouragement or is it gossip and slander? Is it thankfulness or is it complaint? Okay. A church filled with gossip and slander and complaint and tearing down will tear itself apart and will make people allergic to it. No one wants to come to church to be torn down or be complained at. Church is a place for building up. As Christians, we ought to be people characterized by speech that builds up, as in when people come to us, it's like, I know whenever I talk to them, I walk away feeling encouraged. And some of us are naturally better at this than, than others. I, I have to work at being encouraging. Is not a natural gift that I have. Um, I think many of us are prone to, to complaint and these sorts of things. None of us have it all together. But this is something we're working on. To cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. To be slow to take offense. Slow to take offense. But always ready for reconciliation. Are we always ready for reconciliation with our brothers and sisters? It is inevitable that you will be offended here. Because as it turns out, these pews are filled with sinners. Okay? It is inevitable. Actually, anywhere you go, it's inevitable that there's going to be offenses, intentional or unintentional. And the question is, are we a people that's ready to reconcile, or are we a people that's ready to tear, tear each other apart? Notice how this section concludes. Always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Continue reading here in Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have been forgiven much, very much in Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven our transgressions against an eternal and an infinite God. We've been forgiven an incalculable debt. How can we then hold a grudge against those around us, against those whom Christ has forgiven? Turn with me, and we're almost done here. Matthew 18. 
Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That sounds like a lot, Jesus. I feel like after seven, I can cut it off and stop being ready to forgive after seven times, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. As in, Peter, any number you name is going to be too small. As in, Peter, how often have I forgiven you? As in, Peter, what percentage of your sin have I agreed to forgive you of? As in, Peter, what's the cutoff date for my forgiveness for you? Doesn't exist. Always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior, these rules, to secure it without delay. We're not going to do any of this perfectly. The last thing we want to do is to set up the church covenant as a new kind of law keeping to justify ourselves by the covenant. We can't do it. We are dependent ultimately and finally on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will not live together perfectly. We will not love our neighbor perfectly. We will never love our God perfectly in this life until we're given new, resurrected, glorified hearts and bodies. But my prayer is that that we would make this our goal. To live how scripture has commanded us. To fulfill our responsibilities to the church. We'd fulfill our responsibilities in our our lives. We'd fulfill our responsibilities to one another. And that so long as we're looking to Christ for him to lead us and for him to guide us, that he would make us a church that we actually want to be a part of and that others will too. The conclusion says this, we moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of the covenant and the principles of God's word. Becoming a member of the church is not a life sentence. It's, it's, it's not like a, um, a marriage covenant, right, which is meant to be a, a lifelong covenant. Um, it's inevitable that Um, many of us will not be in the same church for our whole lives. Signing up to be a church member isn't a life life sentence. Um, If if you were only to be here in the church for one more year, and then you knew you were going to be moving somewhere, I would still encourage you to become a member of the church for one year. As a way of saying, as long as I'm here, I want to live like Jesus has commanded. I actually want to be committed to this church to be a part of the body. I've gone a bit long this morning, so I apologize. I wanted to get through the whole thing, and we have. I was disappointed halfway through this week when I realized that we weren't having the Lord's Supper this morning. For whatever reason, I had a short in my brain, and for the first few days I was preparing the sermon, I, I, I intended that we were going to have the Lord's Supper together after this sermon. We're not. We'll have the Lord's Supper together next week. That's, next week is the first Sunday of the month. But the Lord's Supper is a wonderful picture 
of the body of Christ and of, and of how we're united as one body in Christ. There's one unifying factor that brings us together, and that's Jesus. The reason we're a church, the reason we can maintain any kind of unity, the reason that we can hold together as an organization has nothing to do with our, our human dispositions, has everything to do with that Jesus has saved us, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, we do now in the presence of God, angels, in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into the covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Founded on the gospel of Jesus, may, may we be the kind of church that fulfills our responsibilities to one another and in so doing glorifies Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for our salvation in you. We thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection on the third day. That because of your death and your resurrection, we can actually be dead to our old selves, dead to our sin, and that we can rise again in new life in you. That we can be freed from the condemnation of sin and the fear of death into into freedom and into eternal life with you forever. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of the church, that you didn't save us just to be all on our own, but that you saved us into the body of Christ, that you've knitted us together. And we pray, Lord, that, that as we do work on our own sin, as we work through our own inconsistencies, we're not perfect, we don't have it all together, that you would help us more and more to live like Jesus together. That more and more, Lord, we'd be able to devote ourselves um, to, to, to supporting the church in the ways that we're required to, to, to live in the world in the way that you would have us to do, and to glorify you in our love for one another. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church that glorifies Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. What an encouragement, amen? amen. Hmm. All right. Let's uh, turn uh, for our final song to 591, Have Thine Own Way. And let's sing the first and the last verses. Let's stand and sing 591. <laughs> Absolute sway, fill with thy.
thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.